Test, 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 test. Welcome to the At The Hive podcast, part of the SB Nation network of podcasts. On today's episode, we run through the Hornets' first four games, their new style of play, their superstarless style of play. We continue with our segment of who's buzzing and who's wasn't. We look at how Hornets' past are doing on their new teams, and we look ahead to the next week of basketball. Let's get started. What's up, guys? It's the At The Hive Podcast. I'm Jonathan, as always, and I'm with Zach. Zach, how are you? Everything was all good just a week ago, Jonathan. <laughs> I don't know if this is, much has changed. The Hornets are 1-3. They won their season opener against the Chicago Bulls in what was probably the most exciting game of basketball I've ever seen in my life. And then they went on to lose three straight games against Western Conference teams by like 20 points per game. But, yeah, but after the fir- that first game, all the comments were, oh, they were making the playoffs. Uh, P.J. Washington's <laughs> going to be uh, MVP candidate. He's going to be MVP, Rookie of the Year, first team All-NBA, all that stuff. I, I from the start, thought it was a foolish um, endeavor or to believe that that game was indicative of what the Hornets were going to do all season long. Well, like, and yes, yes and no. First of all, they beat the Chicago Bulls by one point. Yes. Um, not a great team and not a large margin of a win. So it was great. I was actually at the game. I was live at the Hive. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, wrote, posted an article about that on atthehive.com, a fantastic go, website. Go read it. Go the Website read and it. that post in particular. Please do. Please do. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was excited about it. I was excited about the, the style of play. But, you know, taking taking that into the playoffs or taking that and, and trying to say that's the way the whole season is going to go. It's just, I understand you're excited. It's the first game of the season, but let's just put on the brakes and the Hornets <laughs> obviously put on the brakes. It's yeah. It's very easy to, to overreact to game one because that, it, that one game makes up 100% of your sample for the season. But what I tried to say was like, look, we, the Hornets set a record for three pointers made. They've never made 23 three-pointers in a game, and they won by one point against a very mediocre Bulls team. Yeah, like, and, and <laughs> exactly, and they played really well. You know, we're going to get into the mm-hmm. style of play in the first four games and that kind of stuff, and I was excited in the uh, Spectrum Center, uh, me and my 70 closest friends. <laughs> and uh, and that, you're talking about that, that's the entirety of the attendance, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Seventy-one people. No, um, it <laughs> it was mostly empty, though. It really was. Yeah. The uh, people who sung the national anthem, I guess, was like seven people from a local church or something. It was just not a lot of pomp and circumstance for what you want for the beginning of the season. Yeah, it's it's understandable with like the 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 stories surrounding the team. But yeah, you would like to see them come out and support for the first game, but it's understandable. 
that that people were uh, a bit jaded by the franchise after letting Kimball Walker walk. But what my my whole thing was like the turnovers aren't going to go away, which they haven't. The interior presence isn't going to get better, which it hasn't. The defense isn't going to get better, which it hasn't. We're not going to make 23 three-pointers to make up for it every night. Absolutely but, not. And the style of play doesn't lend itself very well to defense, um, as we saw in the first yeah. game and as we've continued to see. However, they are moving the ball a lot. You know, we talked about it in our previous pod, how um, Borrego was talking about making the ball move. And they've, they've accomplished that. Um, do, do you agree? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I'm a fan of the style of play. What do you think? Yes and no. I enjoy uh, defense and basketball. I know it's me and like four other guys from the 1970s, but I like defensive <laughs> basketball. Um, and you're not seeing that with the Hornets at all. Um, no. But I, you know, it's very exciting, especially because the younger players are really buying into that style of play and it fits their game, which it didn't last year when Borrego was trying to uh, inst- and put that into play. Yeah, like for as good as Kimball Walker is, and we talked about this, that he's not. He's a walk it up the court, you know, control the entire offense from start to finish type of player. And James Borrego is a let's move the ball and get out and run and throw it all over the place type of coach. And so now he's got young guys buying in. And I think that's the most exciting thing about this first four games, because it's certainly not the results, but the fact that we're doing what he said he wanted us to do. Exactly. They're putting in his offense and good or bad, at least it's it's his team. It's Borrego's team. Um, whether or not he's going to survive all these losses, we can get to later on <laughs> in the season. Um, what do you think about, speaking of point guard play, what do you think about the point guard play, um, uh, Devontae Graham and Rozier and how they fit into the offense? So I think Devontae Graham's been better. I don't think there's a lot. You can really argue with that. Mm. Or, or can you argue that? No, you can't. <laughs> but what, so the thing that I've thought I've, that I've noticed across these four games is that PJ Washington and Terry Rozier for as good as they've been, especially uh, PJ Washington in the opener, they look noticeably less comfortable when they're not like, not when, when they're not immediately catching and shooting, like when it comes to them making plays within the flow of the offense, they just, they both look a step slower, like a little more hesitant than the rest of the guys. And I think that's a product of them, being new to the to the you know the coaching staff and to their teammates and stuff like that well bridges bacon graham cody all of them have been playing together so they kind of they kind of have a feel for each other or for one another already and i think that's a big reason for terry's struggle so far yeah and i agree with that and i think it's where it's yet to be seen whether or not rogier or washington are actual playmakers Kemba Walker was a playmaker if you needed Hmm. something to happen Kemba Walker could do it and I have more faith that PJ could evolve into something like that and maybe Rozier's well Rozier's young and and can assimilate into the offense and into the team Um, but there are, are well I shouldn't say there aren't any playmakers on this team I should say there are people who can be playmakers in situations but you can't uh be on them to be a playmaker every time yeah, it's like there is playmaking up and down the roster, but there's no guy that's a, like a go-to guy that night in and night out can be can be leaned on. For sure. And the games that they've had after the Bulls, look, this team should lose those games. It's against a Clippers team that is, is pushing for a championship this year, a, a Lakers team that has, uh, you know, two of the, what do you want to say, two of the five, two of the ten best players in the league? Yeah, somewhere in that ballpark. 
Yeah, and the Timberwolves, who have the paint offense, the paint um, presence that the Hornets just frankly don't have. Um, so they should have lost these games. Now, in an average of like 15, when they're losing them with an average of 15 points, it looks really bad. But I do think that the flow of the game allows for those younger players to get the minutes and get the experience that they need. Yeah, and and everybody's getting touches. There's not any like, uh, put the young guy in, he'll stand in the corner. Like put P.J. Washington in, post him up in the corner and let him just catch and shoot if he gets an open look. Like he gets to be an active part of the offense and you know he gets to bring the ball to the court if he gets a rebound he gets to initiate some offense and stuff like that um yeah yeah i'm worried a little bit about how his defense how specifically pj washington jr's defense is going to evolve he's just been horrible on that side of the ball. <laughs> he's against the lakers there were a few plays where he got switched on to lebron james and he might as well have not even been there a hundred percent and the same <laughs> thing with Kawhi leonard i mean yeah don't get me wrong. Kawhi Leonard routinely abuses everyone. Um, when he does that little like fadeaway jump shot, the thing that like I guess he learned from the Spurs and ev- all the uh, like metrics people don't doesn't want you to shoot. Yeah, those mid ranges. Yeah, swishes them <laughs> every time. And yeah, PJ Washington just didn't look good on that side of the ball. And look, he's a rookie. It's like his fourth game, so I, I figured that would happen. Yeah, rookies rarely come in and play good defense. I think every no, it's like Del Curry says it all the time. I think whenever any player gets asked like what's the the hardest thing to adjust to in the NBA, it's playing defense. So it's not, you know, it's not like all hope is lost because he's been a bad defender for four games. No, and all hope is not lost kind of period. One thing that I've seen during the games, I've uh, seen in, on our website and on Twitter is that People haven't really, you know, it's not like, oh, we're losing all these games. We're going to continue to lose them. I am out. I'm just not invested mm-hmm. in this team at all. I I enjoy watching this team even when they're losing. Um, I think you have to kind of space your watching out. I watched, <laughs> yeah, I watched the Timberwolves game at a brewery in Pineville. Shout out to Middle James Brewery. It's a really nice one. First time I was there. Free ads. Yeah, it's, exactly, exactly. Um, but I, but I watched it. I, had to, I don't know if you've ever tried to watch a Hornets game anywhere, but usually you have to ask someone to turn to the channel, <laughs> yes. you know, because they don't yes. automatically play it, even in Charlotte. Yeah, I've had. That but I think that before. it's it's good to, especially you and I who. Um, are really focused on the Hornets and watch every game to have that kind of remove from it, maybe even see it in public where you can see other people react to it. It's just, that's how this season is going to continue to go. Yeah. It's, it's all about performance relative to expectations. And I think most people uh, had ex- very low, like bottom of the barrel expectations. So it's very hard to disappoint from that, uh, from that aspect. And I feel like from pretty much top to bottom, like, or had good signs as an individual player they're just not putting it all together to win games and that's what you tend to see out of young teams like they've been competitive in all four games this so far this season it's just these little stretches of play particularly in the second half where they can't quite maintain the the intensity or they can't stay as consistent as the better teams yet and that's just that's just being young Yes, and what you're describing is a losing team, which is, yes, exactly. which is what we knew it was going to be. Exactly. And that was, I think I said that before the season two. It's like, look, this team is going to play well for like 40 minutes of every game and make you think they could win. And there's going to be about eight minutes of every game where you're like, what is this team doing? They're not an NBA basketball team. 
And that is what most bad teams are because everybody's a professional basketball player. There aren't going to be very many teams that it's just like you show up to the gym and you win. But the difference between the bad teams and the good teams is the sustainability of their play for 48 minutes. And that's the young, the Hornets are a young team and they're not going to have that yet. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. One thing that people aren't talking about, and maybe we should, uh, the Hornets are 1-0 and with Nicholas Batum and 0-3 without Nicholas Batum. That's interesting. Well, and how many of the minutes did he play in that first game? 11. Okay, so not exactly a, a huge mark on the on the game that they won. <laughs> but I love that you he, he phrased take... it that way in your forever defense of Nicholas will, Batum. Will, no, 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 but, but wait, there's more. Okay. How many points did the Hornets win by against the Bulls? One point. You, you know what uh, Nicholas Batum's plus minus was? <laughs> yeah. What's that? It was plus one. There it is. Uh, I mean, he's the he's the linchpin. He's the, the reason facts. why we're losing all these games. The facts speak for themselves. And you may be like, but Jonathan, he turned the ball over twice and committed two fouls in those 11 minutes and didn't attempt a shot. And I'd say wins the uh, – and the single game 11-minute sample of plus minus. <laughs> I, that's, I mean, it's, it's not – I can't argue against that. You know what I mean? That, that is foolproof a defense of Nicholas Batum. So sad to hear he broke his finger during that game. Maybe it was (laughs) on that one point or one point that he contributed to. Yes, he he did. He did draw a foul on that, on that one play. I don't remember how that possession ended, but he broke his finger getting fouled, trying to catch a pass. But the Hornets, what do you think? He's going to be out for a few weeks. And I don't know what he does when he comes back. Because he doesn't look very needed right now. And I know a lot of people are going to say he's never been needed. But I thought coming into the season, it would, he would be important, especially with like a second unit, to be a facilitator and make the ball move and kind of be that veteran presence on the court. But for a lot of the games so far, like the Hornets don't like veteran presence. Like the young guys are doing all right for themselves just on their own. Minus one young guy, which I'll get to in a later segment. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he is needed. He's needed to come back on this team, in my opinion, because we need him to come back and show some value. Even just a little bit of value so that he can be a trade ship later on in the season. Um, that, they need to, that sense, I understand, need to yeah. be able to play basketball. Yeah. I know that's kind of more bigger picture than what you were thinking as yeah. a kind of part of the offense coming off the bench. I don't even know. Um, I don't know anything about his locker room presence. Do you have any gauge on whether or not he's a great veteran to have in the locker room? I, I don't really know. I, the only thing I know about him is that he seems to be like, there's no smoke in that. Like, you know, with, with Dwight Howard, when he was here, there were like rumblings, that stuff wasn't going well. Even if right. it was always denying like that with Nicholas Batum, as much as people want to portray the Boris Diaw lazy Frenchman personality onto him, I don't think that is an accurate description of him. I think his teammates like him, and I think he gives effort. I just don't think. I think he's just passive and lost all his confidence over the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, I think the value for him is you you stick him in the corner, or I guess you run those like pick plays where he can get open uh, on the corner. And that mm-hmm. he makes those three-pointers, not to win the game, not because we think <laughs> he can be a pivotal piece of the offense, but as a trade ship. I mean, you know, God, if the Warriors can get something together and they need 
you know, some presence on the outside because they're not going to get. Oh, they certainly need something. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Maybe they go crazy and they they trade for Nicholas Batum uh, for a pick or something like that. I I just that's what we need him to come back for. Um, I know you're an ardent Nicholas Batum defender, and there's parts of your argument that I agree with. Um, you know, I don't think he was as bad as people say. He just has a large contract, and he's going to have to pay for that for the rest of his life. Um, yeah. But it's fine. He'll be a multi, multi, multi millionaire. <laughs> that's and that's always been the 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 crux of my argument is not that Nicholas Batum is good or very good or vital to the success of this team. It's that he's not as bad as you guys think he is. So what let's, a, what let's, a, let's play wow. off a little bit. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that's my take on the Nicholas Batum injury. Do you have a different one? Do you think no. that he could be somehow um, make the team better in some way that doesn't translate into wins and losses? I don't know. I like. I think his role is supposed to be like a defender and facilitator. I think with as well as some of the young guys have been doing that, I don't know if it's as important as it looked like it would be going into the season. So I think when he comes back, I don't imagine him being completely I wouldn't be surprised if he got like much more sporadic playing time, you know, where he might get a couple DNPs here and there and play like 10 to 15 minutes as opposed to like 20 to 25 minutes type of thing. Yeah, sure. I could see that happen. Or we could trade him. Now, hear me out. We could trade him to the WWE and his his, like special move could be the low blow. I mean, I think there's value in that. I really do be a superstar there. The WWE doesn't need more characters and he's got like the, the, the size and the frame to be a large, you know, he's got that larger than life six foot seven or probably like six foot six now since they've changed the, the measurements. Love it. And he could be like the French heel, you know, maybe he could wear a, what's the, what's the hat? Of course, I forgot the name of the hat. Do you know what I, I mean? I don't. I, yes, the the French hat. <laughs> yes, that one. <laughs> yes. All right, we've got our segments coming up on the other side of this break. We'll see you in a second. Welcome back to the At the Hive podcast. It's time for America's new favorite Hornets-related segment: Who's buzzing and who's wasn't wasn't who wasn't got i mean people are talking about this on the streets it's, it's all it's, all it's over the streets an amazing segment they're they're hanging on the edge of their seats in their cars or wherever really want to know jonathan delong who is your buzzing candidate for the week my number one buzzing candidate for the week is Devonte graham because he's the best player ever you know, I think somebody, maybe possibly an owner of the team, might have some something to say about that. <laughs> Lord knows he had something to say about Steph Curry. <laughs> should ask if Devontae Graham's a Hall of Famer. But Devontae's averaging 17.5 points, 7.3 assists, and he's hitting 54% of his three-pointers, which is totally sustainable for the course of a season. But... <laughs> But more importantly than that, and we're going to ignore that he's like 30% from two, but more importantly than that, it's just he plays, he's playing with such confidence and composure, and he does not look like a second-year, second second-year, second-round pick. I, I mean, there's nothing more to say than I agree. He has <laughs> been like the point guard that has been needed in this offense more than Rogier. I think Rogier is going to hit his stride. Um, he's already had some relatively good games, but mm-hmm. I think Rogier is really going to become the leader of the team um, going forward. But Devontae Graham knows these players. 
or some of them, knows mm-hmm. when and where they want the ball and gets them the ball, which has been really fun to watch, not to mention he's attacking the basket, which always helps. And he's he's showing some sauce, too. Like, he, he crossed up Montrez Harrell on 1-3 over him, and that was not anything I thought he would ever give to the Hornets. Yeah, I, I wonder, you know, can you read Kemba Walker's influence on his game? It looks like it. Like, he's got a yeah. lot of the same, like, the perimeter-oriented ball handling and shooting off the dribble and stuff like that, for sure. Yeah, there's. I think there's zero chance that he didn't get some type of instruction and leadership from Kemba Walker, and it just shows, and he has had a great start to the season. Yeah, and even just, like, watching and mimicking Kemba's game, even from afar, like, oh, Kemba does this in the works, so I'm going to try to put that in my game. Who do you have for buzzing? Or, yeah. Yes, yeah, so I'm going to go Cody Zeller. That's a Cody good one. Cody Zeller has had double-doubles every game he's played. He didn't play in the Timberwolves game. Yeah. It yep. weird. Yeah, it's like his grandfather passed away, I think. No, I, I hate to hear that. Um, yeah. Yeah, but he has found his spot in the offense and has really made the most of it. Um, in the When they played the Lakers, he specifically had a really good game, 19 points, 14 rebounds, um, had a lot of offensive rebounds, which you don't see a lot in today's game. Yeah. Um, you know, I think he's really found a way to be productive in the offense. And, you know, forgive me, but I can't think about the only thing I can think about is like, man, the Spurs could really use Cody Zeller. <laughs> you know, I, like, yes. I'm, you know, that's how my mind, where my mind goes is like, he's been, he's shown his value for the first four games. I think he's been the best player on the Hornets through the first four games of the season. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's hard to get better than PJ Washington. I know that <laughs> um, like we were talking about his defense before, but, and I'm so excited about his potential and yeah. Cody Zeller is kind of, this is where Cody Zeller is. This is like the best of Cody Zeller. And what you can't, because we've seen him for so many years, you know, it's coming, you know, the like ankle yeah. injury, <laughs> the like, you know, DNP for 10, 10 games is coming. So it's just good to see him healthy. No, it, it's good to see him play his game. He's already gotten a cut over the eye and gotten stitches, but yes, no God. it's definitely coming. And it's going to be something weird. Cause I feel like he's never had the same injury twice. Like it's like he's first, he sprains his ankle and he breaks a finger and then he tears a meniscus and he breaks his nose. Like he's going to do something new. Cool. Get him on the block so like, before that happens. <laughs> Get him I, on I don't and think off. I, I never, I never expected Cody Zeller to average thir- be averaging thirteen rebounds per game through the first week of the season. That's that's not a Cody Zeller stat at all. It's not. I um, mean, the the lack of other people who can rebound really helps him out. Yes, that does help. <laughs> <laughs> Did you the the picture that's on? At the for the recap of the uh, the Hornets versus Clippers game is one of my favorite pictures I've ever used. Cody Zeller's trying to grab a rebound by himself with four Clippers surrounding him and PJ Washington just watching. And it's <laughs> if you Google and the picture before is Cody Zeller getting like mauled by Danny Green and Dwight Howard going for a rebound. Like every picture in our in our uh, text editor, if you look for Cody Zeller pictures, it's just him surrounded by uh players on the other team just grimacing and getting grabbed in the arm and just getting mauled it's it's so funny and look that's that's his value like yeah. don't get me wrong you got to stay healthy but that's what he should be doing and it it's good to see him play like that and 
I got to, uh, you know, I don't want to switch it too much, but because uh, I'm seeing the CHA jerseys and I talked so much crap about them at the beginning of the season. Yeah. Kind of liked them in real life, Jonathan. Kind of <laughs> did. The, they, the, they, they pop. Yeah. Uh, for um, sure. It's, yeah, and I, I thought about when I saw the last time I was looking at them, because I know everybody wanted the CLT. I think the CHA, just because of the shapes of the letters, like the H and the A are wider instead of the, the lines that are L and T, I think it makes them pop more. All right there, graphic designer Jonathan DeLong. Yeah, that's, yeah, I, that's I, me. I, agree. I, I wear a lot of hats. Um, <laughs> do you, I have one more uh, one more buzzing real quick. What's not going to go into depth. Miles Bridges, particularly for his defense, there are a couple plays against the Clippers in particular where he completely clamped up Kawhi Leonard. In isolation situations. A couple of those plays. Yeah, most for the most part, Kawhi Leonard was on fire. But yeah. Yeah, I I can see that. And I like how Miles Bridges has progressed in the season two. mm -hmm. Um do you think he's getting overshadowed a little bit with by PJ? I think so. Yeah. I I I think I've been real happy with how he's played. He still is a little too passive in my for my liking in terms of like looking for a shot and stuff. But he's showing a little bit more aggression and then the three point shot's been better. And like I said, it's just the, the times where he gets put on an Island, like he has his lapses still when it comes to making rotations and switches and stuff. But when he gets put like one-on-one in an Island against these guys, even like the LeBron's and Kawhi's, like they, he's, he's really holding his own. And that's impressive for, he's 21 years old, second year. And that gives me a lot of optimism for him as a defender long-term. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see, you know, if the, the 30, 36% from three is going to be able to hold up. Yeah. Um, if that does hold up, that that bodes really, really well. Um, and I'm, you know, God, to see any glimmer of defense on this Hornets team uh, is good to see. And Miles Bridges has been the little glimmer of defense that we've seen. Yes, with, with a lot of non glimmers. Did you have any other uh, buzzing? I don't have any buzz, and unfortunately, I think we All have right. to get to the wasn't. Yeah, we got to get to who wasn't for you, because I know who it's going to be, and I have him on my list too. Because I have, a I'm sure one. that you do, and he's your boy, forever attached to him. It's Cody Martin and Nicholas Batum, right under the <laughs> byline of Jonathan DeLong. Is that what um, it is? <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is you. You have to own it, even if you didn't do anything to deserve it. Um, I mean, just. In the the small amount of minutes that he played, he played more minutes in the Timberwolves game. Um, just not good, man. Just I, <laughs> not on top of the stats not filling up. Um, I mean, zeros across the board for every game. Well, I should say he got three points in the Lakers game. But um, on top of all that, doesn't look like he knows what he's doing on the court. Um and doesn't fit into that that young core that we were talking about that seems to play really well together. You can't include Cody Martin in that. Yeah, he's he's looked a little uh, over his head so far. Yeah, and and it's four game or he's only played in three games, um, mm-hmm. but it's four games of the season, and he was a second round pick. And I I took the small amount, granted, small amount of excitement that you had for him with a grain of salt because this is you know. This is a second, what a second round pick sh- looks like a lot. Yeah. And we'll see what happens with him because the coaching staff, to their credit, has done a good job developing the other second round picks we've had, um, except for uh, Dwayne Bacon, who I'm going to put in the wasn't because he's been pretty bad for a guy that was supposed to be a potential leading scorer. And I know that's not a surprise to me or you, but 
a lot of Hornets fans were really, really high on him coming into the season, and he has done absolutely nothing to deliver on that uh, optimism. No, he hasn't. He, I, This is the thing about it, is that we have a bunch of excitement for Dwayne Bacon, and because he did relatively okay last season in the times that he played with the team, mm-hmm. and because we had that relative optimism, the expectations shot up really high. Mm-hmm. And I still see there's a lot of potential in his game, although some of it is really bad. There's a lot of potential in his game. Um, but this is a this is a swarm member um, just last year. So, like, I don't know why we put all those expectations on him to begin with. Yeah. And I my big problem with him has always been like he's got the talent and he's got the, the physicality for it. But I just never have liked his mentality and mentalities typically don't change dramatically over the course of a player's career like if you come in with the idea that i'm a bucket getter first and foremost and nothing else you're probably going to keep that to an extent for your entire career and he's been bad at getting buckets and then downright awful everywhere else rebounding defending all that stuff so just just not good and um i don't want to spend too much time on it but it is sad malik monk is is a wasn't (laughs) for me as well i mean yeah you know maybe we mishandled him or something, or maybe, you know, we should have drafted somebody else. It, he just doesn't <laughs> look like he belongs yeah. on an NBA court. He, he's played well against the Clippers. It was like Malik Monk's kind of doing a good job, I guess. If you look past the four turnovers and, and uh poor defense, I guess. And that's kind of like where it feels like his uh, ceiling is right now. Y- yeah. And that's, <laughs> you know, he hasn't that's been a total tour. minus tonight. <laughs> Yeah, that ceiling that you see is the floor. <laughs> I, have, I have one more thing before we wrap up. Sure. This is not Hornets related, but the biggest wasn't of the year goes to Reggie Miller. Did you hear, see him in the first, I think it was the opening night of the season, not realizing that Chicago is a city in Illinois and thinking it was a state? No, I okay. didn't see that clip. No. I'm so happy I get to, to share this with you for the first time. So whoever his uh, partner was, I think it was like Kevin Harlan or something. Uh said that Patrick Beverly led, like we went to high school in Chicago and led the state in scoring as a senior. And Reggie Miller was like shocked. He's like, he led the state of Chicago in scoring? (laughs) And Kevin Harlan was like, no, Illinois. He's like, oh, just Illinois. Okay, then that makes more sense. Like he was more surprised that Patrick Beverly could lead the state of Chicago in scoring. And then when it was actually the entire state of Illinois – he was somehow less impressed. So I think he thinks that Chicago, <laughs> Illinois are two separate states. You know, and... <laughs> what I like is just laughing at other people's mistakes. That's because you and I were flawless. We never. Yes, I've mistake. never made a mistake in my life. But yeah, 100 percent. Well, you know, the state of Indiana and or I'm sorry, the state of Indianapolis really w- misses Reggie <laughs> Miller a lot. I'm sure they do, but I just – I thought it would go, like, super viral and stuff, but it not really – it just kind of got glossed over, and I think it's just kind of the bar that Reggie Miller has set for himself, but it is what it is. <laughs> um, before we look ahead to next week's games, or the next, we're going to check in real quick uh, on some hoarded zombies in honor of Halloween. Yeah. And, and by zombie zombies, music. we mean – Insert yeah. zombie music. Maybe I'll do that if I can find some <laughs> zombie music right here. Woo. Um, Kimball Walker, Jeremy Lamb, and Frank Kaminsky are all playing games on other basketball teams. Well, one one is one game. 
Yeah, Jeremy Lin played one game and got hurt, but and he was just kind of eh in that one game. So I don't know how much we can really talk about that. But uh, Kimball Walker and Frank Kaminsky, who who do you want to start with? Um, I mean, let's just let's just eat the eat the entree first. Let's go to Kimball <laughs> Walker. Can, mm-hmm. Is it surprising to you that both Frank Kaminsky and Jeremy Lamb are averaging more assists than Kimball Walker? Yes, that is surprising that you pointed that out, and I didn't notice that. Yeah, so so Kimba Walker is averaging 2.7 assists per game. Both Frank and Jeremy, obviously Jeremy's nothing. Um, yeah. He's not nothing. He's only played <laughs> one game. Yes. Um, or have three, or averaging three assists per game. You know, they're, they got to figure out Kimba Walker because he is more valuable when he is providing uh an opportunity for other people to score on his team. Um you know he's he's valuable as a as a as a point scorer, but if you're not if you're not unleashing the playmaking ability of Kemba Walker on the Celtics, then you're you're misusing him. Yeah, and I, I'm happy that he it's with the passing not being there, I'm happy he was able to score well against the Knicks, which he always does. Because I think Boston probably be about ready to run him out of town after th- if he had three bad games to start his career there. He, he was, you know, yeah, he struggled to begin. He was very bad against Philadelphia. Twelve eight, and if they want to run him out of Boston, baby, we still got we got some room on this <laughs> roster. We can figure it out. Do, do what, uh, you need Nicholas Batum? <laughs> we'll do the uh, the Cleveland route where your your franchise's all time player leaves, and you stock up on draft picks and cat draft capital and stuff like that. And then he just comes back to you after four years of that, and you all of a sudden have a better roster around him. Like That's we'll perfect. And then Kyrie, he our Kyrie Irving and Kevin like Love and stuff. Else. Yeah. yeah. And then Frank Kaminsky, I watched the game he had against the Clippers, and I was like, "What is what is going on here?" So what? I haven't seen him play at all. I see that his averages are up. How does his game look? I guess the so I haven't. I didn't watch the other three. Um, like I said, I like you. I see Don't how good his stats are. But against the Clippers, yeah. it was just like he hit three threes in a row, which he's three for seven. So that's very frank of him to hit three in a row and miss the other four. But it, it uh-huh. was just like there was a stretch for maybe an entire quarter where it was just like Frank Kaminsky for three. Frank Kaminsky with the baby hook inside. Frank Kaminsky whoever for a layup. And I'm like, why am I hearing so much Frank Kaminsky against a really good team? Especially early in the season. He only does this after the All-Star break when the team is out of playoff contention. Yeah, well, and you said it best. He was three of seven um, from the three-point line. He's the guy in the pickup game that is open for a reason. <laughs> they're, they're like, you know, we have to we have to cover everybody else. Just leave Frank Kaminsky to do what he's going to do, and we're going to win the game anyway. It's 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 the guy where he catches an open shot for three, and you start you see him to start to gather for the shot, and you're like, we're fine with that. Yeah, like I've got to run all the way to the other side of the court after this, so I'm not going to run to you. <laughs> yeah, I'm good with that. Like, we'll, we'll live with that shot. And then, but other than that, I mean, I guess his numbers are good. His shooting percentages aren't great, but that's kind of the, the Frank Kaminsky we've come to expect. I did see Zach Harper, uh, Talk Hoops on Twitter, tweeted out that was a lazy foul by Kaminsky in transition, and I retweeted it like, oh, that's surprising. I believe it. <laughs> yeah. It's good. Yeah, it's good to hear some things don't change. <laughs> yes, there are some things we so can count me, on in this world. Yeah, let me ask you a, a more conceptual question about these three and just Charlotte Hornets drafted players who are on other teams. When you see them 
I mean, there's not a lot of influence of draft picks of Charlotte Hornets players in other teams doing well on other teams. Do, do you do you see that and say to yourself, hey, it's not institutional that these players aren't getting good. It's just that the players weren't good. Or do you see that and say to yourself, man, we're really bad at drafting players? I think it's a little of both. Sure. Um, yeah, like obviously the players aren't living up to their draft expectations like we talked we were about to talk we didn't really talk about it but Noah Vonley who was the first round pick of this team and then has bounced around the league ever since that's not really a Hornets thing because he wasn't around long enough for us to make changes but I think there's in the past like maybe we didn't develop draft picks enough just based on how much improvement we've seen with the young guys on the current roster compared to the improvement we saw on the young guys previously you know like Frank Kaminsky Cody Zeller were the same players from the time we drafted them and Michael K. Gilchrist too until now. So it's right. like, how much is that on the player and how much is that on the, the staff? But so I don't know. I, it's hard to say. I Do you root for them to do well? Or are you kind of like, would you be upset de- if they good? It de- It depends on the player. Um, yeah. And just look, I watch, I'm a basketball fan. So I like some players and I don't like the other players. <laughs> Seeing Jeremy Lamb contribute to a, a winning team. I, I would root for Jeremy Lamb to do that. Jeremy Lamb's not going to take anybody to the championship, you know? Yeah. Um, see if Kemba Walker brings Boston a championship. Um, I'll, I'll be conflicted a lot. Uh, I'll be very conflicted. Yeah. It, it would just be hard. And honestly, at least for the beginning of the season, I just don't see that happening. Um, no. this season, at least. I don't either. Um, so looking ahead, the Hornets still have two games left on this West Coast trip before they get to come home. And when they get home, they've got some, some good stuff to come coming with uh, the Celtics are on that schedule. Um, but first, we got the Kings Wednesday night and then the Warriors Saturday night. Do the Hornets win either of these two games before they wrap up their road trip? Oh, man, I don't think so. And I think the more the question is, it go, is it going to be 10 plus? Are they going to lose by 10 plus? The Warriors, I think that's a very fair question. The Kings, the Hornets have a chance because the Kings are bad. They are very bad right now. I don't think they'll stay this it's bad so all season. It's so weird, the talent that's on that team that yeah. they're losing that much. They don't have like, – yeah, they, I don't think they'll be this bad. Also, if it's them adjusting to you know Luke, new head coach or just managing expectations because they've never had expectations with this group of players. But – they are the only team in the league that has a worse point differential than the Hornets so far. Yeah, I'll be definitely watching the game. I'm, I mean, and the, it's the way down there. Oh, I just said it's worse than the Hornets, and it's by far worse than the Hornets. Like they've their average margin of defeat is nineteen point five points per game. Wow. There, yeah, aggressively bad. So that's the Hornets' chance to steal one on this road trip. Before they let's get to go play it. the Warriors, let's get a let's get a W in Sacramento. You got to think Sacramento is also marking this game as like, hey, we can get off the Schneid. <laughs> yes, this is their their get right game the, against the Hornets. Yeah. Over under. So go ahead. Me, and I go ahead. What were you gonna say? I was gonna say I was gonna move to the Warriors game unless you had something else to say about the Kings. Yes. So. If you had to guess how much it was to get a ticket to this game, average price for what the I'm sorry the lowest that they're selling a ticket for the Sacramento game if you're not looking at it. Guess. I'm not looking at it. $4. 
What there? That's up five. This is California prices. Just calm down there, Jonathan. Okay. It's nine. I'm looking. I'm thinking Charlotte games when they were bad. It's nine dollars. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, it's I didn't an Uber ride. California. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't factor in the yeah. California uh, inflation there. But yeah, that's that sounds about right. With with being Sacramento, yeah. and you know, I, I don't think the Hornets are a very big draw for teams that are not Charlotte fans. So the Warriors, Stephen Curry over under forty points. I'm going. I mean, I'm going over. First of all, there's no one else on this team to score points. Um, is no. Draymond is Draymond going to be healthy for this game? I think so. Is he okay. hurt? I thought I remember seeing him get hurt, but I don't remember. If, I don't remember it being anything significant. Yeah, I don't think it is anything significant. But yeah, I mean, Steph Curry is going to turn, yeah, turn on fire for this game. Yeah, I, I he always seems to play well against Charlotte, and they they need a win too. They've they've had a rough start to the season, and I think he's about ready to take over. And I love how forty points is a very aggressive over under, and you're like over. I'm smashing the over. Yeah, no I, hesitation. I I, I don't know why Michael Jordan. Like, did you watch the interview where he said that the Steph Curry was not a Hall of Famer? Right. No, I didn't see it. Okay, it wasn't even prompted. It wasn't an answer to a question. <laughs> he added it on. That's fun. While he was sipping on his patented tequila at nine thirty in the morning. Um, <laughs> I thought he was asked about that, and he said no. But he was just like, I don't think he's a Hall of Famer yet, and I don't care who knows it. And they're like, Michael, we didn't even we aren't even talking about the Warriors. He 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 was asked a question that was associated with Steph Curry. Um, and then he said, "Oh, but he's not a Hall of Famer." Just, just <laughs> like grabbing it out of nowhere. And you know, I don't think that Steph Curry's is a Hall of Famer because he's not a Hall of Famer yet. He's got a, you know a whole uh, rest of his career to you know continue to play. But you know, there's a there's a non-zero chance that Steph Curry might want to in the future when he's 40 <laughs> years old shoot three pointers in the corner for the Charlotte Hornets like don't say anything bad about him you know he doesn't want to be Magic Johnson and get fined for tampering <laughs> right right he's doing whatever the opposite of tampering <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's just disparaging every player in the league he's like I, you will not find me for tampering i think every player in the league is bad i don't want any of them on this team yeah i just it was Foolish to even say it, but you know he's he's the goat. He can do whatever he wants to do. Well, the Hornets return home. I don't know where we're gonna cut this off because it depends on when we record next. But they come home to face the Pacers, and then they play a national against the Celtics and Kimball Walker. So we get back to back former UConn players turned Hornets in the Spectrum Center with <laughs> Jeremy Lamb and the Pacers. The Pacers are boring. The only thing that's really noteworthy is they have two good interior players, and the Hornets have been bad against all interior players. So Miles Brid- or Miles Turner and uh, Demata Sabonis will probably both eat. Agreed. Agreed. Other than that, yeah, I think that's about it for the Pacers. But the Celtics. Yeah. Talk on it real quick. We might get to talk about it again next week before the game happens. But that's going to kind of be super weird watching Kimball Walker. Uh, play for the Celtics, and then for him to make a three, and I want to hear how Eric Collins reacts to a Kimball Walker three. <laughs> what do you think he'll make up another word for it? I, I don't know because you know whenever Kimba made the three before, I was I was like Kimba, like he'd like yell it. Yeah. Um, do that with Kimba playing for the for the bad guys. So like, what what does he do? 
I, I, I mean, I'm cheering for him. I don't know, like, Boston coming into the Spectrum Center wasn't going to be predicted to be a win anyway. So mm-hmm. let's, I mean, you know, I think Kemba's going to make him dance in this game. <laughs> I, I really do. I think he's going to score a lot of points and uh, come home and do what he does best. Win games in the Spectrum Center. Yeah, exactly. Just this time for the other team. Yeah, sadly. <laughs> well, that's all the time we got today, guys. We will see you next week with more of the At The High podcast. Subscribe on Spotify high. all that stuff. And Spotify, Apple Podcast. Keep listening to us. We'll see you later. Peace out.